This is episode 932 with author Linda Flanagan. And there's a really important study that was done here in the U.S. by uh, Travis Dorsch at the Families and Sport Lab. And his team of researchers found that the more parents spend on their kids' sports, the less they, the kids enjoy it and the more pressure they feel. Hmm. So now, if that's important, maybe you say, I don't care if they feel under pressure. I don't care if they don't like it. It's a career. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that could be, you know, the thinking. Um, but you can't, it's like in the intrinsic motivation to do well, which it sounds like you really had as an athlete. Hmm. I had it too, for the most part. Um, that what came from within, and it wasn't, outside people weighing in and telling me I had to do something. Yeah. And to the extent that I got that, I pushed back from it. Mm. It was like, no, don't tell me I need to do this. Mm. I'll be, I'll decide. And that's the great irony of the whole thing. The more you as a parent want it, the, in the harder you push, the worse it's going to be for the kids mm. up to, and if they go along and they go along, eventually they're gonna they're gonna break yeah if they don't lo- if they don't love it they're not gonna stay with it welcome to athlete maestro a podcast tailored for athlete development improvement and peak performance and now here's your host at this point guys i think i'm just going to go full on right into you know just doing interviews with experts on the podcast because i'm I'm super enjoying them to the point where i'm like hey i don't want you guys to hear my voice again let's just get all these people on let them discuss their expertise and of course you guys learn so much from it this episode guys with linda flanagan was one of those episodes you know how you call your mentors right and you say can you meet for coffee can you meet for tea the types of conversations that you have in those settings is kind of the conversation that myself and Linda had on this episode. It was super laid back, super relaxed. It was like we were just conversing. And of course, Linda was asking me questions as well. So we're both putting ourselves in the hot seat, if you can call it that. Supremely, supremely calm episode. And it's one that you can listen to on your jog. It's one that you're going to recommend, right? If you're an athlete, going to recommend it to the parents. If you're a parent, you're going to recommend it to fellow parents as well. Linda is the author of the book, Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids Sports. She's a journalist and, of course, a former cross-country coach as well. And I told Linda on this episode that what I loved right, about her a book and all the things that she's doing is that it is research-based. So while you might think that this episode is strictly for the parents, right? trust me, as an athlete, you're also going to learn a thing or two from it. But definitely, this is about the topic of sports parenting, one that I'm supremely passionate about because I truly believe that if sports parents learn how to sports parent the right way, then, of course, we not only produce better quality athletes, we also produce better quality individuals and human beings as a whole. We talk about so many things. We talk about the three parts of a book. We talk about why parents fail to learn how to support parents the right way. We talk about creating an environment for your child. We talk about why parents are so worried about their children. We talk about the Chinese model of youth sports. We talk about the Norwegian model of youth sports. We talk about the United States model of youth sports. We talk about so many things surrounding sports parenting. And of course, this is one episode that would open your eyes. And I'm sure 
from many of the things that we talk about, you're going to agree because you're already seeing it yourself in how the world plays out. Anytime there's a big superstar in sports that gets a contract, right? Then you see all the parents come out about projects Mbappe and how their children are going to be the next superstars and things like that. If only parents like that learn how to sport parents the right way. It was absolutely uh, my pleasure to have Linda on, like I said, as relaxed a conversation as you are going to have. Supreme, supreme episode and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I know that you guys will as well. This episode, guys, is brought to you by my free ebook on the five biggest mistakes that sports parents make. The five biggest mistakes that I've seen in my experience that sports parents make. So if you're a sports parent, you want to get your hands on this free ebook, athletemaestro.com forward slash parenting mistakes. Athletemaestro.com forward slash parenting mistakes. When you've got your hands on that free ebook, join us for tea or if it's coffee that you have, myself and Linda. <music> Correct me if I'm wrong that it must have been a little bit controversial you know writing this book because if there's one thing i know about parents is that many of them don't want to be told you know how to parent their kids whether it relates to sports it relates to school nutrition whatever who are you to tell me how to treat my kids and all of that so it must have been controversial well you know it's interesting um so so far i haven't gotten a lot of um pushback on Mm. it that doesn't mean it doesn't exist i'm sure it does and there's plenty of legitimate debates to have about various things in the book. I wouldn't certainly wouldn't deny it. And I would also say that um, I am too am reluctant to um, oh like um, stand on some pedestal and mm. say this is the right way to do it. I, I don't think anyone really knows. I, I am one of my parenting philosophies is that no one knows what they're doing mm. and we're all just making it up as we go. As we go and <laughs> I think, you know, we base that on how our parents treated us and Mm -hmm. what we see in our neighborhoods and what the culture is. And, you know, in the book, I'm trying to um, not call out parents, but help Mm -hmm. them understand some of the other factors that go into why our culture is crazy. It's not just because, you know, we parents are nuts. I mean, some of we can be, Mm -hmm. but there's an there's a culture that we're living in that makes this seem like the only way it is Mm. and um you know i i I sympathize as a parent and having gone through this myself i sympathize it's not easy to navigate Mm. and it's you know letting your emotions get the best of you um is i think is is typical in sports it's just gotten a lot more extreme in the last few decades Mm. Mm. so it Mm. well i'm sure that i'm willing you know any of these points could be debated and what of my course. suggestions for parents are like from my experience. But I also think that, um, you know, everyone knows their own children best mm. and they have to come. Then my advice is kind of like really get to know what your child mm-hmm. wants. It's not about necessarily what your neighbors are doing mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. your ego is telling you. It's about getting to know your, what your really what your child wants. Mm, mm. And, I th- and I think that's also uh, what is important because when you also look at it, it, it's more or less like the parents 
also have some work to do, you know, so it's not just a case of somebody telling you that do this, but, you know, are you willing yeah. to put in the work to actually do those things? And what I like about the book, I have to admit that I haven't finished reading it. I thought I would have mm -hmm. the time, but, you know, when when you're a lawyer as well, you kind of have a lot of things that, mm -hmm. um, you know, fit into it. But, you know, definitely I will finish Indeed. it. And, you know, this is a conversation that would obviously continue on. But one thing I love about it is that it is research based. So it's not like which is where I want to start from now. It's not like you just went through an experience and you decided to write about it, which is what a lot yep. of people do. You know, I went through this thing and then, okay, I'm going to write a book about it. You went mm -hmm. into research and the starting point of that was your experience when your children wanted to get into sports, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about that particular experience that you went through? And of course, your own personal experience as an athlete, which of course made you do that comparison that, hey, this is not how it was when I was playing sports. So can you run me through yeah. those two experiences? Well, um, yeah, I kind of, in the first chapter of the book, I talk about this like little epiphany I mm. had um, when I was taking my then like eight or nine year old son out of a basketball game and he played really well. He's a very good athlete, very natural. Um, and just the, I just was uh, writing about the pride I felt and how mm. like, just pumped up. It just yeah. felt so good to be like, oh, look, look at my little basketball <laughs> star. Yeah. You know, he's like eight or nine years old. And then I recognized that how like, how good it made me feel. And then mm. I also started thinking about the times he didn't play well and how they, that made me feel disproportionately bad. Mm. And it bothered me. It just struck me as, as kind of ridiculous and perhaps somewhat lame to let my my sons my you know elementary school sons games have yeah. such an impact on how i feel mm. and i couldn't i couldn't help but um reflect on my own experience growing up where i'm one of five and and you know my parents were too busy to be involved in our yeah. endeavors yeah. like this mm. there also in fairness there weren't that many offerings i mean there weren't travel teams yeah. all over the place and it wasn't the expectation of my parents to do this to give up their you know summers and spare time mm -hmm. weekends to advance my athletic career i frankly think they wouldn't have even if it were available because there was a different mentality about what parents kind of owe their kids mm. at that time um that not to say they didn't love me and my siblings yeah. but yeah. that it just wasn't expressed the same way. Mm. Um, so it was a combination of my own experience. I was, I ran when I was growing up. I played softball. I played tennis. I was very active and loved loved it. Mm. Um, but it was really based on my interests, not on what my parents wanted me to do. Mm. And I've remained an athlete, you know, my whole life. Yep. And it's a big part of my life. And that's kind of what I think most of us would want for our kids, for them to grow up and to be active and to be healthy you know, that, isn't that why we're doing this in the yeah. first place? Yeah. And and I just kind of, <clears throat> these insights about what was happening here and what I saw all around me and people getting so upset over like dumb games, <laughs> frankly, they're dumb games. I mean, I know they matter in the moment, but yeah. they're in, utterly insignificant. Uh, what was that about? So I started, you know, exploring, doing some research on, um, you know, why, why, how we got here and mm. what's changed. And that's kind of what 
result the book resulted from that research mm-hmm. which of course i had alluded to in terms of not just oh i went through this feeling you know let me just write about how all these mistakes are being made and all of that it, it was based on research and the the three parts or uh, three legs if we can call mm-hmm. it that of the book which of course is what uh, the entirety of it is about is you know the money that has flowed into it the mm-hmm. way childhood quote and unquote has changed and of course, the mm-hmm. whole college system. Let's talk about that yes. second part, you know, which of course you a little mm-hmm. bit alluded to in the sense that, you know, then maybe your parents didn't have time based off of their, uh, their schedule, the things they were doing then. Would you say that with the advent, and I'll give you a little bit of background from the African context, right? Mm-hmm. Would you say that the change in realization for the parents is what has led to it? Because if, you, if we flash back about 20, 25, 30 years in the African mm-hmm. context, no parent wanted to hear about sports. No parent wanted to mm. hear about sports. It was mm-hmm. go to school. And, you know, we, we are a little bit traditional in, in, in the sense of how we do things here in Africa. Mm-hmm. It was go to school. That's what I've said. So you, you found a lot of these um, adults, right, who would finish school. And then they would go to their parents. They would hand them their degree and say, I did this for you, right? Now mm-hmm. I can go mm-hmm. and do whatever it is that I'm passionate about, whatever it is I've developed. Because that insistence was on school. Nowadays, yeah. with the advent of the money that has come into sports, what these athletes are earning, you now see parents who are now on the other extreme in the sense that this can be a career and this is what I want you to do. You have to play sports and all of that. Would you say that that change, a change like that in terms of the orientation of the parents is, is part of what you were talking about? Well, I, I do think there is some of that. Um, maybe... I mean, there are some in this country who think well, their children are going to grow up and be professional athletes mm. and make make money. Um, I, I don't know what those numbers are. <laughs> I think if you if you like went around a, a basketball, if you went to a basketball game or a soccer or football match here mm-hmm. and you surveyed the parents, I think very few would say, uh, "Well, I expect this is going to be his ticket or her ticket." Mm. You know, it's going to be the way to make a living. I mean, there will always be some. But I think it's other fact. It's not so much about um, the money they're going to make yeah. as maybe it'll help them get into a better college. It'll make me look good and feel mm. good about my contribution to this child's excellence. Um, and it maybe it will offset some of the cost of college tuition. That's always yeah. bandied about. Yep. Like yep. it will offset. But you know, in this country, and I don't, I don't know if, if it's true for Nigeria, but six percent of high school athletes go play sports in college. Yeah. So it's a very small number anyway. And then 2% of 2% of high school athletes get any kind of money to a scholarship, yeah. uh, athletic scholarship money. So we're talking about a very small number of, relatively small number of mm. kids who yeah. get any kind of money at all. So that isn't say it isn't a motivation for parents, but I don't think it's the driving motivation. Mm. So tell me about it in um, in Nigeria. Say is that so? Do parents think that if I you know devote insist that my child you know play football year round or run year round? Say I mean there are you know certainly you can make a living if you're very top of the heap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what it is now. You know, so then it was hey go to school like school or yeah. nothing. Uh, no attention on sports, no attention on arts or any of all those things. It was get a degree 
and the type of mm. degree also mattered you know so um if you went and you studied maybe sociology physiology psychology you know or any of those courses it, it wasn't regarded as a degree you know you had to mm -hmm. study medicine you had to study law you had to study yes. accounting you had to study engineering mm -hmm. and all of that but that has yeah. changed now with the like i used to call them new generation parents who now believe that sports can be a ticket to wealth right if my child mm. becomes um the next messi the next ronaldo mm. the next whoever it is lebron james or uh, you know any of all those sports then it's a ticket to wealth and the insistence on them doing it obviously mistaking the fun aspect of it mm. that hey if you're playing sports you should be having fun so uh, why are you complaining why do you say you don't want to do it you know and things like that mm. so mm -hmm. it, it's completely shifted now to the point that the parents that want to do it you know are now on the extreme in the sense that mm. it's compulsory right so whatever i have to do to drive you to games to buy you this to uh, sign you up for whatever it is and of course that was the attraction um to your book and what you wrote in the sense that Yes, the first extreme of only going to school may not have been the way, right? But it doesn't mm -hmm. then solve it when you've totally crossed the pendulum, right? And, yeah. and, and I mean, there, was, there, there, there are parents that I've met because one of the things I also try to do is to help these parents, coach them, guide them, you know, whichever term you mm -hmm. want to use, on the right way to do it. Because yeah. I, wanting to play sports, the only agreement or the only condition my parents gave me was you have to have options. So mm. go to school and then you can do whatever you want. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like they forced me, but they wanted it to be pragmatic in the sense that you can't throw all your eggs in this basket because just like you alluded to, six percent mm -hmm. go to high school, from high school it's two percent to college, from college is maybe less than one percent or something. It's who, yeah, depending on the sport, it's a tiny number that go on to play professionally. Exactly, you know, in in your research, you know, what is responsible for these parents, you know, not educating themselves in the sense that okay, now I know that this is something I want to endeavor in. How exactly can I learn from this? Well, I mean, it, in the U.S., and it sounds like it, where you live as well, um, athletics are so prized. You mm. know, they're mm. celebrated. Athletes are celebrated. I mean, and I mean, this is like, look at Messi in the, you know, the World Cup. So exciting. And yeah. it's you know, we look at them as these otherworldly beings with mm. such incredible skill and talent. And we, you know, everyone wants their child to be a big star like that. <clears throat> mm. And, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in professional sports. It's, it's very much generally at the very top. Um, here in the U.S., according to one study I looked at, 34 of the 100 highest paid celebrities were athletes. That mm. included Le LeBron James and people like that. So there's just, it's, they're very much in the public eye. We're a country that prizes athleticism and athletes mm. were com competitive, capitalist. You know, it's about win, win, win. So it's, it kind of makes sense that, you know, this is what you would want for your children. Mm. You know, the fact that you can't force it, you can't force talent, yeah. you know, whether yeah. they, you know, some are gonna be, have strengths and better VO2 max and, yeah. you know, muscle capacity than others. Uh, you can't force that as a parent, you mm -hmm. know? I think, um, I think that's where there's a little disconnect about, you can't make your child be a good athlete. You mm. just, you simply can't. And in fact, the more you lean on them, 
the less likely they are to want to do it. Mm. And there's a really important study that was done here in the U.S. by uh, Travis Dorsch at the Families and Sport Lab. And his team of researchers found that the more parents spend on their kids' sports, the less they, the kids enjoy it and the more pressure they feel. Mm. So now, if that's important, maybe you say, I don't care if they feel under pressure. I don't care if they don't like it. It's a career. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's could be, you know, the thinking. Um, but you can't, it's like in the intrinsic motivation to do well, which it sounds like you really had as an athlete. Mm. I had it too, for the most part. Um, that what came from within, and it wasn't, outside people weighing in and telling me I had to do something. Yeah. And to the extent that I got that, I pushed back from it. Mm. It was like, no, don't tell me I need to do this. Mm. I'll be, I'll decide. And that's the great irony of the whole thing. The more you as a parent want it, in the harder you push, the worse it's going to be for the kids up mm. to, and if they go along and they go along, eventually they're gonna they're gonna break yeah if they don't love if they don't love it they're not gonna stay with it mm, 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 that's a good point you make we're going to come back to the to the institution part of things you know not not like mm -hmm. we forgot but i like how it has kind of dovetailed or started with the with the sports parenting angle now i'm thinking about the parent who is listening to us now the sports parents because mm -hmm. i've had a lot of interaction with a lot of them and i want to get your take on this now you'd see many of them who are from the school of thoughts you know, that a, a child, quote and unquote, doesn't really know what they want, right? So mm -hmm. today they want this particular thing, tomorrow they want this, tomorrow they want that, you know, and next tomorrow, like, just because of the fact that their brain is not fully developed, so to speak, mm -hmm. they can easily mm -hmm. change their mind. So mm -hmm. how do I strike the balance or where do I find a middle ground, right, in trying to say, this is good for you, try mm -hmm. and stick with it up until a point, mm -hmm. And, hey, make your choices. And whatever choice mm -hmm. you make would support. And I'll give you a little bit of background to this. So I remember when um, I was doing some, uh, some research on Nastia Luiken, who is a gymnast, right? And one mm -hmm. of the things her mother did was every time Nastia came back from practice, gymnastics practice, and we know that that is usually tough, right? Especially mm -hmm. because they start so early. And she yes. always wanted to quit. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, mom, I don't want to do this. And her mom said, hey, it's fine. I'm going to let you quit, but I won't let you quit on a bad day. So she would mm. wait. She would wait for her mm -hmm. to have a splendid training session, something mm -hmm. that went really well. And she would say, hey, Nastia, remember you said you wanted to quit? Now you can quit. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. Nastia goes, no, 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 this is the best thing in the world. I absolutely love this. I want to continue and mm -hmm. all of that. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, so, so what do you say to those parents from those school of thought where, hey, they're trying to find a balance where, you know, this is yeah. good for you or, hey, yeah. just decide. Let me leave you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's a totally legitimate question. And, mm. you know, I'm in, in my book, I advise parents to follow their child's lead to like, mm. get out of the way and let them kind of decide on their own. At the same time, I recognize that kids need a nudge. Sometimes mm. they need encouragement and like to, a little push sometimes, you know, to try something that yeah. they might otherwise not try. You like, it's like trying a new food. You mm. know they'll love it. They have to give it a chance, yeah. though. And I think that, that what I, I I like the idea of saying yes, you can quit, but it can't quit on a on a bad day. I also would um, suggest that that 
if you make an agreement like with your children to say you're going to finish the season, mm. you know, unless there's abuse going on, like all yeah. bets are off. But if if you just you're you're disliking it, you're sick of it, you don't like the coach, you don't like your teammates and you're you know, you have another six weeks to go, I'd say, I'm sorry, you don't like it. It's too bad. But you got to finish the season mm. and then you don't have to do it next year. Um, I think, you know, that it's that balance of saying, I respect your wishes and I, I get it. You don't, you don't like the sport anymore, but you're not going to quit in the middle of the season. You made a commitment. You're going to finish it. Mm. And I, I mean, I think that's one way. But of course they need to be nudged. I mean, mm. some kids don't, they just kind of don't know themselves yeah. that well. And yeah. they are, they do change their mind all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, but there are we there are ways to kind of work with that. Mm. Can you share with us some of those ways that come to mind that maybe um, in your research you've seen or you know in the parents you've talked to that have reached out you know where you know they kind of follow that path you know and it worked well for them in the sense that hey they try to nudge their children and maybe it did work out because I was going to ask you you know you talked about your children getting involved in sports did any of them like follow through do they now play sports or what level do they play to? Yeah, well, I think um, my the one who I really talked the most about in the book is the one who's a good athlete. Yeah. And he played through high school and didn't want to play in college. He didn't want to, well, he wasn't recruited and mm. he was on a division one team, uh, a school that had division one sports, which are the most competitive and, you know, really challenging. He wouldn't have made those teams. So he didn't play in college, but he played, he played intramural sports he played at the gym, you know, went to the gym and played with friends. He ran. And right now he's um, he's a, become kind of a, you know, like a, a good runner, mm. very good runner. He's about to start training for a marathon. So he's very active and it worked out. I think it worked out really well for him. Um, he's not damaged. You didn't tear an ACL yeah. or, you know, have some, he's not going to get arthritis from mm-hmm. his high school sports which can happen you know yes my other son was adamantly against doing sports Mm. like i don't want to do this it's dumb and it wasn't for him it just wasn't for him and you know we encouraged and said what about this you want to try that he would give him a shot and then that was it he didn't want to do him but the thing is i think what's really important i like to think that what, what you model as their parent is mm. really important too. Like how you view sports. Yeah. And in my husband and I are both runners. And now that boy who's now a man who didn't play sports, he's now a runner too. Mm. So, you know, I think if we had hit him over the head and said, no, you have to do this. And whether you like it or not, I I can't imagine that that would translate into a lifelong interest in in the sport. Mm. I mean, I'm sure it happens every now and then, but it just kind of defies human nature and particularly parent-child relationships where the more you push as a parent, the less they want to do it. Mm. Mm. If I if I hear you correctly, one of the things you're talking about is, you know, not only modeling but also creating the environment for them where, you know, mm-hmm. because one of the things I always tell parents is you you cannot every time you want to work out using workout as an example every time you go to the gym you come home or while you're working out at home you're complaining all through the workouts and your child is there <laughs> like oh this is so hard this is so this this is yeah. so that you know and i always tell them like how in the world is your child going to 
look forward to working out when they yes. have all this experience <laughs> from you where it's one complaint after the other oh this exercise mm-hmm. is too hard this is this my body aches yes. and all of that are you talking a yes. little bit about creating that environment for them as well absolutely i mean if if you're first of all, if you're sitting around all the time, mm. what are they going to get from that? <laughs> that? There's no point. You know, we don't do this when we grow up. But also, yeah, like you say, it's we would my husband and I would talk about when we get to run. Mm. You know, we get to run today or it's important. And I would always say when they would sometimes grumble when they were little about moms going out for a run. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, well, this is important to me. So, you know, that's why I'm doing it. It's important to me. It's good for my health. It keeps me from strangling you. So, you know let's get behind that and i i there's no question that it has um has affected them and their own enthusiasm for it it's just what they've seen and it's like they know it's done so much for me and for my husband that they you know it, it seems like that's what adulthood is mm, mm. and i see in the book as well where you also try to advise parents you know, on, you know, teaching them, you know, different skills, using sports to teach different skills and how, of course, um, the, the, the failure to do that, where, of course, you then force them to play the sports, those character traits you want to teach them, you want them to learn, they end up not learning it because they're not enjoying the process. They're not paying attention to what they are doing. It's, it's more or less like a horrifying experience for them. But if there's a parent that comes to you and, and says, um, Linda, what would the ideal situation be? So we're going to talk about two types of parents, right? The parent who, you know, you maybe your child, you know, has just been born or you have a very young child or maybe you've not even given birth to a child as well. And it's something you wish for. So not necessarily forcing or, you know, making it a compulsory thing. But, hey, I would wish for my children to play sports. That's one Mm -hmm. side of the equation. The other side of the equation is the parent whose child is maybe seven or eight or something. And maybe you you want a do-over, so to speak. What would your advice Mm -hmm. be to those two parents in terms of the ideal thing? Like you started, like you said, when we started out, like, it's not like you're sitting on the pedestal and then you're advising parents that, hey, this is the way. Yeah. But... Just an advice, they come to you, private consultation, whatever it is. Yes, yeah. Advice would you give them? <clears throat> well, I would say uh, for the one who has a baby on the way or just a baby, and, mm. and presumably the baby's not doing any organized sports, yeah. to um, try to to model like that athletics are fun, mm. that it's fun to do these activities, that, hey, let's do them together. We can go out and play to keep it, uh, as low key as possible, as just like enjoyment. Mm. That's something we get to do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to, you know, and then as they get older, to encourage whatever athletic experience they're having, mm. if they're enjoying one activity over another activity, to expose them to different kinds of activities because, you know, at least here, you know, there's a lot of focus on certain key sports, you know, yeah. soccer, football, basketball, but there's a whole range of sports that some kids don't have good eye-hand coordination. Mm. Some kids mm. are good runners. They, they don't necessarily overlap. To, so to give a lot of choices, if that's possible, mm. to keep it as fun and low pressure as possible and give them opportunities to play mm. so that if they really want to, they can indulge it. Those kids can pursue it on their own. But always to keep make sure it's that it's for them. I think the the trouble comes when the kids' sports become for us, mm. when it's about our ego gratification and you know 
them making us feel like we've done a good job yeah, as parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I just think it's about keeping it like a light and enjoyable, look what the things we can do. How about we try this? I'll mm. play with you. How about let's have some kids over? You know, we can all try this just to mm. keep it light and fun, not, you know, formal and or super organized, especially when they're young. Yeah. Like when they're really young, just, you know, it should, it really ought to be fun. And I know that that's, some people think if it's fun, it's not serious. Mm. Well, it mm. shouldn't be for their kids. I mean, because they're not going to like yeah. it. And the yeah. key to having kids play is for them to enjoy it. Mm. And they'll enjoy it when they're early if it's fun and as they get older and then the competition picks up they will rise to that occasion but if it's like imposed on them yeah. I, I don't think that's the right way to go mm. Um, mm. now for the older kids you know like it's funny you think seven and eight year old is older kids <laughs> yeah I would say the same thing give mm. them lots of options it's you're not, it's if you think you've like missed some window, you yeah, are. That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> are wrong. That. No, no, no. You are. That's a prime age. Mm. Prime ages to start playing. Mm. You know, try something new. It's it's honestly, it's like the same advice. If you if you have a child who is resistant, give them new more options. Mm. Go out and do it with them. It mm. may not work. I know when my son was young, the one who didn't like to play. We signed him up for a karate class mm. and my husband went with him and my husband came home having learned a few moves, whereas my son just sat there and would not do it. <laughs> hey, he learned a few things, you yeah. know, but it, it was worth a shot. He didn't like it. Okay. So we move on. Um, I think if they are hell bent against playing sports, there's really not anything you can you do can about do. it except mm. love them and help them find what they love. Because, mm. mm. you know, there's a lot of different things to do in the world. Yeah. You don't want to just become a one-dimensional person. Mm. You know, maybe mm. there's um, art classes or, or art, not even classes, just exploration yeah. of a creative side, um, reading. I mean, there's there's a lot more mm. to life than mm. sports. And you know, for most young people, it's going to end. This whole sports, you yeah. know, fixation is going to yeah. come to Limited an end. Period. Yeah. yeah mm. By the time they're out of high school, most likely, mm. uh, from the vast majority of kids. So let's expand their options so that when they graduate, they know maybe they can do some other things. Maybe they know how to play the piano. Mm. Um, I think that the, the more opportunities and experiences we can offer our kids the better off they are so mm. instead of narrowing it widening it mm. what, what what is your take and i'll give you the context um to why i'm asking this question do you think it's possible for children to succeed in sports up to whatever level without parental influence so when i say parent influence i don't mean biological so maybe um it's an uncle an aunt a guardian or something but you know without that elderly figure being there do you think it's possible i do i do think it's possible mm. um i think at some point somebody has to recognize the talent mm. of a young person you know um but they're who's the brazilian soccer player marta i think her yeah, name is who the lady who came from absolutely nothing and just played she played so much and see so much talent playing with rocks mm. you know instead of balls 
and um, if you have that the drive and you really are really want to do it I mean I think these people are rare yeah you do think they're rare but if you have any kind of drive and ability someone is going to notice most likely mm. it may not be your may not be a family member maybe a coach I know of a woman like that who's elementary school gym teacher saw that she had talent and, and nurtured it. Mm. Um, I don't think it has to come. I, I, think, par- I think we parents tend to um, exaggerate our importance in life. <laughs> <this. laughs> <Yeah>. Honestly. <laughs> and our control for that mm. matter. Mm-hmm. You use an interesting word there, nurture. You know, so with the exception of exposing them, supporting them, loving them, are there any other ways that parents can nurture their children's talent when they discover it in sports? Huh. Um, well, I think keeping it in perspective mm. is, is really important um, to nurture their athletic ability, but also to um, keep it in perspective so that okay, you had a great day, you had a great game, but next week you might have a terrible game yeah, and yeah. Uh, get hurt. So that you nurture them by um, mm. addressing their whole selves, not just their athletic selves. Mm. And, Connecting and them to reality. Them, mm. Yeah, to reality and to the other aspects of their, their personalities and strengths. Mm. So that when, when they don't do well and they won't, it's inevitable that they, they see that they're more than just a whatever, a mm. soccer player or whatever. Um, but I think it's just being enthusiastic. The main thing is being enthusiastic and positive and kind and caring. Mm. And it's not about buying all the stuff yeah. and signing them up for everything. Mm. <laughs> I think that becomes a kind of a proxy, you yeah. know, for caring. But sometimes it's not doing that, mm. that is caring and mm. letting them take a break. You know, listening to them, like really listening to them and um, following their lead. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you just you just alluded to the intangibles because there was a time, you know, and I'm actually considering bringing it back where I used to run a free webinar for parents where, uh, you know, I kind of teach them how to nurture. And I always, so so I always ask them a question at the start, like, what do you think it means to nurture? And these things that you mentioned mm-hmm. at the end, which is, you know, buy them the gear, register them for this class, take them to training and all of that, where the things the parents will mention. And I would always allude to these intangibles, just like you mentioned, you know, yeah. just um, the, the enthusiasm, being, being excited, connecting them with reality that, hey, um, yes, you won today, but this is life. You might not win tomorrow, right? It's not always yeah. going to be your day, you know, teaching them to be resilient, you know, as part of yes. those things. So, you know, you kind of, you kind of mentioned that as we switch yeah. over, you know, to, of course, the, the institution side of things, one of the things you mentioned in the book, which the institutions have taken advantage of is the worry that parents have for their children's futures. I know it mm-hmm. might be, I mean, it should be a no brainer, right? But why do you think parents worry? Why are they so worried that the institution can then take advantage of that? Well, you know, and it's, it's true, not just, it's not reflected just in sports either. Mm. It's um, this, this, this sociologist, Annette Leroux calls this method of child rearing concerted cultivation, Mm. where parents now are so concerned about how their kids are going to do. We started in the seventies when there's big recession 
suddenly it seemed like our kids weren't going to do as well as their parents. Mm. And this was, you know, a law against nature, violation of that. So parents got worried about how their kids were going to turn out. Mm. The population went down. So kids were more scarce. Yeah. So um, the scarcer, the more precious and valuable. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of this divorce rate has gone up. So, mm-hmm. you know, families are more broken. Yeah. And then there's just more anxiety about how kids are going to turn out. And then you add to that, um, and I don't know if it's a problem there, but we have, we're just, stranger danger mm. became such a thing here. Mm. Part during, I think it was, oh, I don't know when it started, the kids on milk boxes and milk cartons, missing kids. And this just in tremendous um, worry about kids being plucked off the street. Mm. Mm. And just, mm. it just kind of took on a life of its own. And um, one woman I spoke to said, in her research, attributes it to the baby boomer generation, which when it adopted such a giant cohort that when it adopted, when it started worrying about stranger danger and there's a risk at everywhere you go and someone's going to pluck your kid or hit them by a car when they're walking, that we bought into this idea of play dates. That mm. their kids had to be supervised at all times. Yeah. And then you have, of course, with technology, which has just exacerbated that, so we can keep tabs on them constantly. It's you know this worry about kids and their their not only their economic futures, but their just their health and well being mm. has made parents kind of easy targets for some of the industries yes. that have come up and said, oh well, you know, we'll provide supervision. <laughs> <laughs> round the clock you know uh it, it just kind of stands to stands to reason that if you're too afraid to let your kids outside mm. if you live in a reasonably safe area and maybe you have a yard or there's a park nearby but you're you're you are terrified of letting them be there because something terrible could happen mm. and of course it can but it is so 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 remote versus the other dangers that kids a real you know actual legitimate dangers mm. everyday dangers um they're easy prey mm. you know and I, of course you get that as a parent like you don't want anything terrible to happen to your kids you love them yeah. and in the thought of something dreadful is just well better safe than sorry mm. we'll do a play date we'll put them in um organized soccer we'll keep them supervised and managed Round the clock, mm. Mm. and that's different. Mm. How can parents be less worried, in in your view? Well, you know, it seems uh, quaint to say so, but if you can familiarize yourself with the facts mm. about some of these things, some of the dangers, uh, the reality of stranger yeah. danger, which is. Again, it's not to say it can't happen, and it is absolutely terrible when it does. But the reality uh, is it's so unlikely. Mm. And that, you know, if you dare to take a risk, and if you familiarize yourself with the facts, it's like flying. I know some people are afraid to fly, but they remind themselves there hasn't been a commercial airline accident in, you know, many years. (laughs) um, That it can help overcome that fear. Um, I also think being more educated about what's happening like with youth sports, Mm. like there are risks associated with the 
year-round play. Yeah. You know, maybe you would be good to, maybe you should be more worried about that mm. than about, you know, someone taking Snatching them. them. <laughs> uh, that, you know, do you want your child to get a catastrophic injury mm. when they're 12 years old? Mm. You know, and not brush it off like it's just a little thing because it's a sports injury. Some of these injuries are have long-lasting effects. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's... It, it takes like using your brain, mm. like understanding what the risks are and trying to remind yourself that, okay, I'm worried about this, but the risks mm. are actually really low. Yeah. And yeah. I can't speak for where you live. You know, I don't know if the, what the stranger danger is mm. there or what child abduction rates are like, but they're, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a panic here. Mm, mm, mm. Do, you, do you think um, some parents use that as an excuse? Because I, I like that you asked, you don't know how, you know, it operates here, but, you know, the same way it is there in terms of there are safe neighborhoods. Obviously, um, if you live in certain areas, there are certain things that you can't do just based on the locality. And I feel like, yeah. you know, as a parent, ex especially if you don't have a choice, so more or less like a last option, that's when you live in certain places. But if you had a choice, you would live in safe areas. But you still find parents who they're living in an estate. It's pretty safe. Um, and like you said, you know, they've not fact checked or, you know, faced with the reality that, hey, this is unlikely. This is less likely to happen. You know, they, yes. they still tore down that line. But do you think that mm -hmm. there are some parents who use this as an excuse to, to more or less like pawn off their children, right? So deep down, they know that, hey, come on, we can let these kids play. Um, it's safe to do this and all of that. But they rather not watch them. They rather not be accountable. They rather not do this. And they're like, hey, just go into organized sports. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's especially so when everybody else is doing it. Mm. You know, if, if that is the culture, the culture is all the kids are get, you know, put in a car and sent to a field and mm. have an adult manage them. It's, it's, it's very hard to resist that and mm. say, well, you know, sorry, we're going to let them just play outside or we're going to let the two, the two kids with the two siblings go out and play in the park, kick mm. a ball around. Um, you know, maybe it's to some extent an excuse, but I think it's also just kind of going along with what the norms are. With what everybody's doing. Mm, mm -hmm. mm, mm. Oh, that's good. And well, here in this country, also, um, it, it's become so crazy that the supervision of young of kids, the, mm. the expectation that they will be supervised at yeah. all times, um, that some in some states parents can get arrested for leaving their you know yeah, young true, kids true, like ten year olds true, true. at home alone. Or uh, I mean. It's just a totally different conception of what's what's like safe. Mm. We're so obsessed with safety in this country, mm, mm. and that's a, that's a valid point you make. Yeah, because before someone calls social services and then um, says that um, you abandoned them when probably you left them for like five minutes, you know, to to do something or get a nap or something. So I, I completely understand that, and of course that's part of that institution problem uh, that you said because if someone is going to call social services then it means that you're better off putting your child in organized sports and who benefits the institution the money that they get from you and things like that one of the things i enjoyed yeah. that you talked about in the book was the chinese model vis-a-vis -vis the american model and then you talk about the norwegian model can you talk to me yes. a little bit about that 
Yeah, in Norway, they have a sport for all mentality. Hmm. Um, they it, they have a children's bill of rights, or I, if that's the right term, it, it is effectively a children's bill of mm-hmm. rights in sports that allows them in, invites them to play um, whatever they want. It allows them to sort of quit whenever they want. They have like a right to play what they want to play. Mm. They don't have to do, you know, all the structures and strictures that we have here, just it's a totally different model. And they have much greater rates of participation because, because again, it goes to that idea of forcing them. Mm. It's the culture is to play and it's, it's fun. It's not about the adults you know, chalking up wins or bragging about their kids. It's, it's centered on the kids experience of the sports Mm. and it's development tends to be developmental. Um, not so much about wins. And I don't even think they keep score up until like age 12 or something. Mm. Um, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a nice little fantasy. I think it's really would be very hard to replicate in much larger countries like yours and mine but um, it's just a healthy, a very healthy approach to sports. Mm, mm, and that's good. But, you know, there was a time just before the, the Beijing Olympics and, and as we wrap up where there was this news out of China and how, you know, they, because they wanted to do so well, because it was, an, it was the home Olympics for them, how mm-hmm. they were so hard on children, you know, and how mm-hmm. just prior to the Olympics, they had, you know, maybe forced children to start maybe gymnastics. And of course, they did win the medals table at that Olympics, which maybe justified the extreme measures. Uh, but what's your take on that? Did you, did you find any research on, on the Chinese beyond their model of, you know, picking the best and then, you know, nurturing them, putting them in the uh, best facilities and things like that? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say nurture is quite the right <laughs> word in that context. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I mean, that's like the old, um, the communist model. Mm. And the Soviet bloc used to do the same thing where they would, you know, the state would kind of come in and identify the winners. And um, it's hard to think that that is something we would want to adopt, mm. you mm. know, because what is the point of who is it for? And I think it's who are these, who are youth sports for? Mm. And my view is they should always be about the kids. kids. They're supposed to be for them. And if the Chinese model, that doesn't seem like it's not about this person's enjoyment of the sport or love of it, or it's about something else. It's Mm -hmm. about nationalism and, um, it has nothing to do with the welfare or the well-being of the young person. Mm. So, you know, I would, I, I it's not anything I would ever uh, recommend to yeah. anyone. And yeah. I, and gymnastics are one of those sports where if you're going to, if you're going to do them, you have to start young. Yeah. And that's where it gets dicey because how can a three-year-old make that decision? Mm. Um, but that's a far cry from the, the Chinese model of like picking them and yeah. like, you know, Building them into little gymnasts. I don't know. What do you think about that? Which is what we're doing. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was absolutely. I remember. I remember reading about it then, and I was like, "Oh my word! They're going to damage these children." You know, because those are the children who, you know, when sports is over, we know that gymnasts retire pretty early. You know, it's very yes. rare for you to see a gymnast who is 24, 25. Simon Biles yes. seems to be the exception. You know, those are the children that then have, as adults, they have panic attacks. 
right? Because mm-hmm. this is this is what they've known. They don't know what to do with themselves. Depression sets in because they've always known sports in a forced manner. You know, so it was yes. something that, you know, I also condemned because like I said, you know, they wanted to win the medals table. That was the only thing that was driving them and they were willing, communist mentality, willing to do anything to achieve that. You know, so of course, you yeah. know, absolutely wrong, absolutely despicable. But I mean, the Chinese are known for, for worse things anyway. So it's not exactly surprising that, yeah. that, they, would yeah. tow, that they would tow that line. I wanted to ask you two final um, questions, Linda, just as we wrap up. But before those two questions, I want to get your take on Richard Williams. You know, when the movie um, no. um, King Richard right came out yes. and you know everyone watched it there were a lot of reviews and all of that one thing that i noticed and i would love to get your take on it is that a lot of parents missed the point of that movie so all the parents that i asked and i spoke to about it what did you learn from it what did you see you know and they always talked about how oh the girls were so driven and this and and um, richard williams was so you know attentive and deliberate and all of that but there was a point in that movie where they were talking, I think they were in the living room in their house, and they were talking about the, the, the cater of importance of all the things the children were doing. So that's Venus and Serena. And mm-hmm. what parents miss is that tennis was last on the list, right? Uh. It started, I can't, I, can't, I can't remember the, the exact hierarchy, you know, but I think it was school, church, um, um, do your chores or something. There was an hierarchy, but tennis was last. So compared mm-hmm. to what everyone thinks that, oh, it was the most important thing to them, was actually the least important. What's your take on that? Well, I would say that he may have said that, mm. but the actions speak louder than louder the words. <laughs> and that tennis was clearly the main thing mm. in that family. Mm. I guess what struck me about the movie was, uh, well, I thought about all the, the siblings. Like, mm. well, what's happening with the siblings? Uh, there's such a focus on the yeah, two girls. On the two, right? But what about the other ones? Mm, uh, you mm. know, they were sort of just uh, decorations in the movie. You know, they, mm. they the siblings didn't have any role. They were they were supposedly happy and would go in the car and watch and cheer. <laughs> but I just, you know, if you have children, more than one child, mm-hmm. you know that sibling relationships are pretty complicated. Of course. And it's hard to believe that there wasn't a larger uh, reaction to the parents, the father's intense devotion mm, to, to the two, two daughters mm, mm. Um, so and all, but what you say about you know he may have said tennis is yeah. last but it was it clearly wasn't it was it was way it was up important, there, right? <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a good perspective because i didn't even think about the the attention to the other kids and of course that's why you know two uh two eyes watching one particular thing you're going yes, to see yes. you're going to see different, different things, things. And, and i never yeah, thought exactly. about it that way but it's a perfect point because what exactly were they doing didn't they have dreams and ambitions and what they also yeah. wanted to pursue but you know i guess the, the the attention of the movie obviously was on serena and venus so uh, they were going to kind of structure everything yeah. towards them but it's a fabulous point that you make the reason i named the podcast athlete marshall linda was because i wanted to at least to the best of my ability help athletes master their craft i know we haven't spoken a lot about the athletes we've talked about the parents what in your estimation does it mean to be a master of your craft we're talking about sports parenting now from the viewpoint of your book your research all the things that you have done what does it mean to be a master of sports parenting so to speak a master of sports parenting sports parenting oh sports parenting sports parenting oh um i think you know, I, I, my mind naturally goes to the, the parents who I think have done such an amazing job. 
and I can think of one who he has been um, absolutely 100% behind his daughter's interests. Mm. She's a runner. Um, he's emotionally there for her whenever she needs it. Mm. If he, if the daughter doesn't uh, perform well, it doesn't matter. Mm. He's respectful of the coaches. He doesn't make his daughter sports his whole life. Mm. Uh, this is a young woman who's very, very talented runner. So this is like, this is to me a model parent of a very talented runner, a mm. very talented athlete. He has perspective. He can see that this is a, a stage of her life. Maybe she'll go on to greatness. Yeah. Maybe she'll be done when she leaves high school. But right now he's 100% behind her, but that doesn't mean giving the coaches a hard time yeah. or trying to control what she does. He's 100% behind her, shows up for her, is keeps it in perspective. I mean, I think that's that's a model parent in my view. Mm, mm, and that's a, that's a good answer. So more or less like the overall balanced approach, returning to that care and love that you have for the child. Assuming there's a parent, and I'm sure there are many parents who would listen to this, who have listened to us for um, 53 minutes uh, thereabout, and they've heard all the things we've spoken about, you know, and we've talked about quite a lot, you know, being the model parent, um, creating the environment for them, nudging them when you need to be doing things right by them, not wrapping their identity in sports and your identity in sports. We've talked about a lot of exactly. things. If there's a parent who comes to you now and says, I had a conversation with Tola, what you guys talked about and everything, what is one thing that I can do that gets me a step closer, right, to being the model sports parent, you know, just like you alluded to with mm -hmm. that example, mm -hmm. what would that one thing be? One so thing. It, doesn't, it doesn't have to get them to the ultimate goal of the yeah, finished yeah, yeah. article, right? Just one thing to get them a step closer. Yeah. Well, I think um, get your own life. Mm. <laughs> work on your own life mm. if so you're not fixated on their achievements or their failures but that you have your own life that's rich and full of you know your own activities and and work friendships um hobbies or sport whatever is you enjoy doing focus on that because that allows your kids then to grow the way they want to. Mm, 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 and that's uh, hard to do. I mean, it's because it seems like it's selfish, but mm, it's actually not selfish. Not, mm. Assuming that you love your kid, that's the bottom line assumption that you obviously love your kids. You want them to do really well. You want nothing more for them to, than for them to be thriving. Mm. Then, then develop your own interests and model a happy adulthood. Mm, mm. That's it. That that would be a tough one for uh, many parents to hear. But yes, they do need to get a life, you know, because this helicopter thing. Oh, but if I'm not involved, how do I know it's going well? How do I know they will succeed? How do I know they will this? You know, get a life literally. And of course, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Linda, for uh, joining me on these conversations. The the conversations I enjoy the most are the ones which are very laid back. Right. It, mm -hmm. It's not it's not serious. It's like we're having a conversation and it's like we're not having a conversation. Right. We could literally mm -hmm. be be having tea and be watching a movie mm -hmm. while the conversation mm -hmm. is going on. You know, those are the best conversations. Yes. And I feel like that's exactly what we have done. Only that I don't have the tea uh, in front of me. Thank you, so, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Linda.
My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tola. Uh, can you tell us how we can um, follow you? I know you're on Instagram. I did find you on Instagram, how we can buy the book, because I'm actually going to purchase uh, multiple copies of the book, at least 10, you know, and I'm going to share <laughs> it for the parents over here when I can get the physical copies shipped down so that they can read it and start that educational mm -hmm. process as well for them. So can you tell us how we can find you, um, how we can buy the book and follow your work, yes. everything that you do? Well, um, the book is on Amazon, so you can certainly buy it there. Um, I am on Twitter at Linda Flanagan too. That's and the, I also the number have, two? Yes. Okay. Good point. And I also have a website. So, you know, I can be reached via my website at any time. It's lindaflanaganauthor.com. I'm happy to, you know, to answer anybody's emails or questions or anything. So, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, fantastic. I'm going to put all those details in the show notes as well so that it's easy access for everybody. Okay. Thank you so much once again, Linda. My pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it, guys. I'm sure if you literally had your tea or your coffee with you, I'm literally, I'm sure that you would have finished it, right? That is how laid back and that is how chill and that's how enjoyable the conversation was. I'm sure if you were not looking at your time, you would not have known that 50 minutes or an hour had gone by whilst you were still listening to it. And so what I said at the beginning, how, you know, Linda threw some questions back at me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, because usually I'm the one asking questions and very, very rarely do I get questions thrown at me as well. So, of course, I had to sit up tight uh, so that I could respond appropriately. It was an episode that, you know, was supreme, like I said, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. You can check out all the great things that Linda is doing on Instagram She's at Linda Flanagan underscore author. Linda Flanagan underscore author. You can also follow her on Twitter as well. Linda Flanagan 2. So that is the number two. Linda Flanagan 2. And of course, you can check out our website as well. Linda Flanagan author.com. Linda Flanagan author.com. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes. Don't worry, guys. Athletemarshall.com forward slash Linda. Athletemarshall.com forward slash Linda. And of course, I, I promised uh, Linda uh, that I was going to get multiple copies of a book, at least 10, so that I can share to sports parents here in Nigeria. So if you're a sports parent, you're listening to this, you want a copy of Linda's book, then of course, send me a mail, tola at athletemaestro.com, tola at athletemaestro.com. I hope you guys have gotten yourself that free ebook talking to the parents now, of course, athletemaestro.com forward slash parenting mistakes athletemaestral.com forward slash parenting mistakes if you haven't subscribed to the podcast guys so that you don't miss episodes like this like i said at the start maybe i'm just going to stop doing the solo rounds and just begin to do interviews on a full-time basis i know you guys would not like that but so that you don't miss episodes like this that is why you should subscribe and of course if you haven't left us a rating and review what are you waiting for what your rating and review does is that it improves the profile of the podcast it gives us feedback and it tells us that you're enjoying the content that is out there athletemaestral.com forward slash subscribe athletemaestral.com forward slash subscribe like i said if you have any questions whatsoever send me a mail tola at athletemaestral.com tola at athletemaestral.com i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show remember knowing is not enough you must apply willing is not enough you must do i want you to go out there learn and apply all the lessons you've learned from Linda Flanagan. I want you to go out there and I want you to be a maestro today and every single day.
Here's a clip from our episode with Dr. Yinka Davis, where we talk about all things supplements, diets, nutrition for athletes, particularly how it relates to probiotics and how it affects your gut health. Well, you know, just hearing you say that from an athlete that says, I don't have access to supplements is exactly what the industry wants people to right? And so growing up with two, you know, two boys that are athletes that are on the courts about four hours a day, I know the importance of performance and wellness in, in, in for an athlete. And it isn't, and to all the athletes listening, the number one important thing is not a supplement, it's your nutrition. It's how, it's your nutrition. Your, your nutrition is number one, right? Because that is, that's your fuel, that's how you feed your muscles, that's how your muscles turn over. That is, there's not a supplement out there, including LifeCap, that will replace your meal. And so, but the industry wants you to believe that is our supplements are the answer to your everything. For more, including just like I said, all things nutrition, diet, the kind of foods you should be eating as an athlete, check out episode 917 of Athlete Maestro with Dr. Yinka Davis.